If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. In order to do modeling, we need accurate data, and the provinces and territories have been working really hard to get to a place where they can provide us with that. We have facilitated that by uh, providing portals and all kinds of other technical support for them to be able to provide as much granular data as possible. So that's Federal Health Minister Patty Haidu explaining uh, why they haven't yet released uh, any sort of modeling or projections with regard to COVID-19 cases in Canada and where we see things going. Now, other provinces have done a better job. In fact, last night uh, here in Alberta, Premier Jason Kenney speaking in an emergency debate in the legislature last night, uh, spoke about some modeling prepared by Alberta Health Services. We're expecting, at least according to this modeling, cases to peak in early May. That at the provincial peak, we're expecting about 250 people will be in intensive care bed units. That's kind of where we're at right now, but it's obviously not meant to be a prediction. If social distancing measures prove to be more effective, obviously we could have a better outcome than that. It's also possible that we could have a worse outcome. And uh, this scenario talks about that worst case scenario where we'd require 1,200 intensive care beds, 925 ventilators. Now, as of now, we have just over 500 available, according to the premier. Uh, So Alberta has been pretty good at releasing information. Ontario's premier says uh, he's going to be releasing a lot more tomorrow when it comes to modeling and projections. And look, they're they're not meant to be predictions, obviously. We're not going to hold governments to these. But it's good to know what they're looking at, what they're reacting to, and what these various forecasts tell us. You know, we we need to to have as much information as possible. I think governments need to be able to level with us, even if the news isn't good. We need to understand what's going on here. And, you know, look, I I think if governments are prepared to be honest with us and upfront with us, even if it's not so good news, I think in a way it can be reassuring that they understand what we're up against and they're prepared to do what's necessary. So why is the federal government being somewhat intransigent on this point. Well, joining us to talk more about all of this, very pleased to welcome to the program here this afternoon, our friend Matt Gurney, uh, columnist, editor with the National Post, nationalpost.com. Matt, thanks so much for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Hey, it's always good to be with you. I hope you and yours are still staying well. Uh, we are indeed, and I hope the same is uh, true of you and your uh, you and your bunch. So let's uh, get your your sense first of all. I mean, the the prime minister and the health minister offered some explanations today as to why they haven't released this information or why they've been reluctant to. What, what do you make of these explanations? Well, the first thing to mention is I thought I had my phone muted there. So if any of your listeners just heard me opening an aluminum can, I want to stress that it was a Diet Pepsi, not a beer. I'm not quite that. <laughs> well, that's forgivable. That's forgivable. <laughs> You know what? I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's a really interesting thing happening, and it's actually happening 
broad, your question's actually even broader than, than you, you realize here, because something really interesting has happened over the last 72 hours. And I'm not trying to go all center of the universe on you here, but I think actually Toronto-based media might have had a bird's eye view of this a little bit, because we've started to get over the last few days a really interesting shift. And, I mean, you probably noticed this, too. All across the country, the tone of the politicians has really changed since, mm-hmm. I don't know, Monday. And, you know, we've been talking, oh, yeah, two weeks, two weeks, we'll extend, oh, oh it's school closures, yeah, we'll extend that two weeks. Or, come on, two weeks, guys, two weeks to flatten the curve. We started to hear off the record, on background from our sources, and I've talked to journalists in many different publications, right? So we all hopped on the group chat and we were gut checking each other. Guys, is the tone changing? Is the messaging changing? And we, it, it was basically almost batting a thousand that yes, it was. And then Toronto let the cat out of the bag a bit. And this was two days ago now. The city stepped up and said, we're shutting it down. Like every public event, screw this incremental two week nonsense. Every public event, for the next 90 days is done. And that includes the Pride Parade, which is a massive tourism draw and economic draw for the city. And the only reason they're doing this is because they have numbers that look bad. And we're trying to figure out what those numbers are, but no one's telling us. And you can see in recent days, and this is partially also explained by the president uh, in the White House administration saying that they're looking at 100,000 to a quarter million dead Americans over the next few months. It's a big range, but even the low end is a big number. And the question has become, what do the Canadian numbers show? Why is the tone changing? Why did Toronto just put the hammer down kind of as that first mover advantage? Why have we seen other governments since then change their tone and start talking about months instead of weeks. Why are we not getting these numbers? So this has all been, like, you could miss them if you saw any of these stories in isolation, but when you put it all together, and to tie it back to your original question, this is why in recent days it's become harder and harder for the, for the Prime Minister at his daily press conference to avoid the questions of, what are the numbers? Like, Rob, if you came to me, and I'm not trying to be flippant here, this is the most serious situation Canadians have faced in generations. But if you came to me and you're like, Matt, I know you have bad news for me. Get, just give it to me straight. And I kind of bobbed and weaved and said, well, you know, Rob, there's a range of possible bad news outcomes I could sure. give to you. You wouldn't be satisfied with that answer. No one would be, and yet that is what the federal government has been trying to shovel on Canadians for the last couple of days. It's insulting on the face of it because we have a right to know, but it's also absurd in this specific situation because the government has rolled out, I mean, I haven't actually sat down with a calculator yet, but something like $200 billion of emergency economic measures that they're ramming through an almost empty parliament meeting under emergency contingencies. We're basically taking seven months worth of the federal budget and spending it. We're just blowing it out the door over the, the next few months as fast as we can. The government wouldn't do that on a hunch. They obviously have some information that is informing the economic response. Meanwhile, they're also, they put the military on alert. They've tried to coordinate uh, purchasing of emergency equipment in bulk. 
the provinces and the territories and municipal governments and local regional health agencies are all scrambling to increase ICU capacity, personal protective equipment stockpiles. We've talked about recalling. Uh, Quebec took the lead on this. They did a great job recalling recently retired medical staff all to work. And again, none of this is happening on a hunch. We're basically all locked in our homes. You know, it's not it's not quite as legally binding yet as it's gotten in some places in China or Western Europe. But effectively, we're all under a soft stay-the-hell-at-home order, and the governments are not doing this on a hunch. They have numbers, and the numbers aren't perfect. They're not prophecies, but they're looking at probably a series of scenarios, um, a, a best-case scenario, a worst-case scenario, and probably some options in between that are informing the most rapid and sweeping mobilization of the Canadian, of Canadian society since the Second World War. And then we say to them, show us the numbers, and they smile and say no. Yeah. You know, and I mean, at one level, I can understand that that if you know, if you you put out best case scenario numbers and people sort of sigh, a, you know, sigh of relief. Oh, okay, well, we're 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 clear. We can ease up a little bit. You, you don't want to give people a false sense of security, and I guess you don't want to panic people either. But I think in an unprecedented situation like this, we just want to know. And I think we're we're mature enough to to understand what what a best case scenario means, what a worst case scenario means, uh, and it doesn't mean that that we're locked into either one of those. But to understand the range to understand what's shaping government decisions. I mean, I think we can handle that information, can't we? Well, I think so. I certainly think that's the case. I have faith in Canadians. Any, any one of your listeners, Rob, right now who can hear my voice, let me send a message to each and every one of them. I trust you. I trust you to keep your head in this crisis. And yeah, in aggregate terms, any group of people is going to have a smattering of morons. That, like, that's just human nature. But in, in the big picture sense, I think Canadians are ready for this. And if you look at the national polling that's been done, in a big picture sense, Canadians are responding to this well and appropriately. I was speaking with John Wright of Dart Research uh, just a few hours ago, and he's been running polls on this since the beginning. Ninety percent of Canadians approve of the measures that we're taking right now. It's, it's really hard to come up with any other issue where you would get a 90% supermajority of the Canadian population. We're, we're ready. We're dialed in. Most of us are already doing the important stuff that needs to be done. I don't know what else the government needs to see from us to know that we're on board with this and that we can be trusted. And I think, I don't mean to derail the conversation down into a, a side tangent, but you and I have talked about this before. Part of this is undoubtedly just another manifestation of the typical Canadian government refusal to treat the population like adults and to treat public information, information that you, me, and V have paid for, to treat it as a government secret. Canadian governments, top to bottom, are terrible at this. We are some of the worst uh, for transparency anywhere in the free world. And I think, you know what, at a time like this, we've got bureaucrats and political officials who are just reverting to type and assuming it's business as usual. I'm sorry, folks, if you want to order me to stay in my house for 90 days and borrow $200 billion on my behalf, I'm actually willing to do that because I think this, the situation is serious enough. But at least you've got to show me your work. 
Well, and here's here's a counter to all of that, though, because I, I do wonder how much more these models and projections can tell us that we don't already know. We've got the, the daily case counts. We've got the daily death counts, hospitalization counts. We've got a lot of epidemiologists and, and statisticians and mathematicians who can helpfully explain to us exponential growth. And if it's doubling every few days, this is what it looks like in, in a couple of weeks, what it looks like in a month. We can look at Italy. We can look at the United States and we can try to crunch that data, you know, using uh, Canadian population numbers. So do, do we already have kind of an idea of, of where we're at and where we're going if, if we really want to dig forward and look forward? I suspect we do, but I think kind of by the same token, we could pretty much figure out what the federal budget was if we got a bunch of smart accountants right. together, right? I mean, yeah. like, it, it's, I think you're not wrong. I don't expect that the the practical impact of our understanding of this is going to be massive. But I think in a democracy, you still have to hold the government to account, and you can't do that until you know what their own standards are. And again, I'm actually a hawk on this. Like, I've been on team lockdown a lot earlier than a lot of Canadians. I think, and look, I'm not trying to have, you know, hindsight 2020, blah, blah, blah. But I think if we had put the hammer down harder, faster, we would have been able to get through this faster, and we would have been able to lift the economic restrictions. But I think we waited too long, and I think we've complicated our own lives here. So I'm actually on board with a really firm crackdown on this, but I think the government owes the people in a democracy to at least show them their baseline working assumptions. Because what I want, Rob, I mean, I'm not just doing this uh, so that we can we can crucify the prime minister later if the numbers don't prove to be 100% exact. I want to see the best case scenario. I want to see the worst case scenario. And then I want daily technical updates from the various governments that show how we are tracking against both of those. Are we tracking down in a good way, bringing cases down, slowing the growth curve, preserving ICU capacity? Or are we tracking the Italy way, which is an overwhelmed healthcare system and just medieval levels of death, of unnecessary death. I don't know. No one does. I'd like to. Well, and you had an interesting piece today on what to watch for, because it, it's tough to know the actual case count, and different provinces are calculating their numbers different ways. But, I, I mean, those hospitalization numbers, and those are the people most likely to be tested, obviously, deaths, those are going to be tested. Does that give us more of a baseline, do you think, for, for tracking this ourselves? Yeah, I think it does. Um, and I think this is really important. And I think it ties a little bit back into what I'd been saying just a couple of minutes ago, that Canadian governments are inherently reluctant to uh, proactively share information. And it's a disgrace and it's a problem in normal times. And these times are not normal. So almost all of the briefings to date from uh, the, the Theresa Tam, the federal officials or the provincial equivalents, municipal officials, I mean, here in Toronto, you know, we're bigger than most provinces, right? So we have municipal health officials also doing daily briefings. Most of the metrics so far have been about things like confirmed cases, confirmed negative tests, uh, number of people in hospital, deaths, obviously. And certainly we found out in Ontario, at least, I'm given to understand, I'm not following the Alberta numbers or the Calgary numbers in particular closely, Rob, but I am given to understand that you guys seem to have your uh, data better organized than we do. So Ontario seems to be a bit of a laggard on this one. But in general, we're getting those numbers and those uh, types of numbers on a daily basis. But I'm at the point where 
I think we have to accept the fact that at least in large parts of this country, this is not something we're going to be able to trace the spread of anymore. And our testing, even in the better jurisdictions, is slow. It's incomplete. There's testing backlogs. And this thing is in the community. My gut feeling is that more people have had this thing than have realized it and have recovered just fine. So I wouldn't be surprised when this is all over with if we found out it wasn't quite as lethal as we thought. But I think at the same time, you know, probably less than 1% of Italians ever got this thing, and it collapsed their health care system. So the important number isn't actually how many people have it. It's how burdened your hospitals are. And in Ontario, there is tracking that shows that. Uh, doctors here have been publishing it. It's internal information. Members of the public can't access it. But Critical Care Services Ontario basically monitors on a daily basis. So there's a 24-hour lag because every day we get the, the, the last day's numbers. But they show us the number of ICU beds in Ontario available and the number that are occupied. So in recent weeks, as this has been coming on, all elective or non-essential medical procedures have been canceled. A lot of normal causes of injury, like workplace accident or traffic accident, are down because everybody's at home. So the hospitals are actually underburdened right now compared to their normal state of being. So a couple of days ago, three days ago, in Ontario, our ICU capacity was at 75%. Normally it's at 100%. So this has actually had been an improvement. We'd been able to clear out a lot of those beds, but that was three di- uh, three days ago. Today, it's at eighty percent. So we've eroded five percent of the ICU capacity of Ontario's healthcare system in three days. So this thing, as as you well know, I'm not going to throw math at you. I'm not that cruel, but this thing has an exponential growth curve. So the more it grows, the faster it grows. If we ate up 5% of Ontario's ICU capacity in the last three days, how much are we going to eat up in the the next three days? I plugged some big-picture numbers into a calculator, and this is obviously assuming current rates of growth. This could hopefully, God willing, not be as bad. But if the numbers continue on the course they're on, Ontario runs out of ICU beds in six days. And if that happens, unless we can surge some serious capacity, and I do know there's talk about establishing field hospitals, we could be looking at an Italy-style situation a week from now, or at least the start of one. And that's got to be the number we're watching now. So every day we're going to get our press conferences. We're going to find out how many new infections we have, et cetera, et cetera. That's important. I'm not denying that. But in terms of the fight we're in against this virus, from here on out, only one number matters. It's percentage capacity remaining in our hospital system. And Ontario's lost 5% since this week began. So I'm going to keep an eye on uh, much more nationalpost.com. Matt, thanks so much for making some time for us here today. Appreciate this. Anytime. Stay safe. All right. Take care. You too. Uh, Matt Gurney, columnist and editor of the National Post. Some interesting points about, you know, governments leveling with us. What are you looking at? What's shaping your decisions? You know, be frank with us. Be upfront with us. And also what we can also be watching ourselves on a daily basis. And again, kudos to the Alberta government. I mean, we've done a pretty good job with testing. I think we, we've been a leader on that. And also when it comes to, to releasing information and the Alberta government website has a whole subsection of all kinds of, of different data points regarding COVID-19 cases, the amount of testing being done, percentage of positive versus negative tests, where cases are located. So th- there is a lot of information out there and that's important. All right. We got a lot to get to in the program here today. 403-974-8255 is our number. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.